hey, you, yes, you, stop what you're fucking doing, put down whatever you have in your hands, listen to what I'm about to tell you. You're beautiful. You're a fucking amazing person. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Podcast number Siete coming at your fucking ear holes. We talked about gene manipulation and how that might lead to designer babies, a larger gap between the wealthy and the poor, and curing DNA-related diseases. We then talked about a seminar Lloyd Pye gave on early hominoids and our evolution from them being false, and his theory on homo sapiens populating this earth. And we wrapped up talking about Bigfoot and the irrefutable evidence that we have amassed over the years. Just want to take this time once again to tell you to share this with all your friends. We fucking love all of you. And as always, we'll catch you on the other side. You are now listening to the Random Words Podcast, a podcast about nothing and everything. Prepare your anus. Thanks for joining us here once again on the Random Words Podcast. I'm Jason, he's Matt. Some motherfuckers. And we're here to put some random words in your ear holes. So how's your day, buddy? It's been pretty damn good, man. First Sunday off in quite a while. It's pretty nice. Yeah, days off are definitely good. Works for us. I actually had to go to the store today because we were completely out of food. 100% no food in the fucking apartment whatsoever. We were eating cracker crumbs and peanut butter. Cracker crumbs and peanut butter, it it has to be said, they're pretty fucking good. Except we actually didn't have crackers, so we couldn't have cracker crumbs. Yeah, we were just eating peanut butter out of the jar. Yeah, it was pretty miserable. It was was actually really bad. But went to the store today, got some food. All all that's changed. We're good. There's like $300 worth of food or some shit in the house now, so we should be good for a while. So I actually have a story from work, right? I want to say it was either last Monday or last Tuesday. So I was at work. Uh, we I had to go out to a customer's house to uh, check for a leak on his on his water meter, right? Uh, so I had to go out there because he said he had a high bill, and uh, so he wanted us to come out and check and just make sure there weren't any leaks or anything like that. So I get out to the customer's house, and uh, so usually how I check for leaks before uh, before I go and talk with the customer because most of the time they're not there even when I go to check for the leak. So I'll, I'll just get out of my truck and start uh, looking at the meter itself initially. And so on the water meters that we have, and I'm assuming most water meters, I'm not sure I only ever know the one that I, the ones I've ever worked with, but there's on there, there's a little red dial. And on that dial, it has a little black line on it. And so that sits there and spins when there's consumption going through the meter. So anytime you turn a faucet on, anytime any water's being used in the house, that little red dial will turn. So if everything's off in the house, that dial should be completely still because there's no water being used. If everything's off in the house and you see that dial spinning, that means that there's water being used somewhere, therefore indicating a leak. So I get out of the truck initially, and like I said, most of the time they're not there, so I just check the, the meter initially. Because it's going to be said, most people, they, they bitch about their high water usage, and they're like, oh, I must have a leak, and they don't ever have a fucking leak. I'm going to say 90% of the of the test, of the leak test I do uh, turn out to be no leaks, and they're just watering their grass too much or whatever. You, you filling up the pool, whatever the case may be. But either way, so I initially check for a leak, and I don't go knock on the door. So I look at, I look at the meter, and as soon as I open the lid, the meter's definitely spinning. It's spinning pretty fucking good, too. 
And so usually with a spin, with it spinning that fast, I'm like, okay, there, somebody's probably using water. Uh, somebody's probably got a faucet on, whatever the case may be. So I go up, knock on the door, and see if anybody's home. Knock on the door, no answer. Knock on the door again, a couple, you know, a couple seconds later, still no answer. So I was like, well, fuck. And so I was about to go back to my truck and write, you know, oh, it's a leak or whatever, because no one, if if there's no one home, it either means that they left a faucet on when they left, which most people don't do. But so I mean, it could be a case. Well, somebody left a faucet on when they left to go to work, or there's a leak. So I go start walking back to my truck, and the door opens. I was like, oh, was it, dude? And he was like all sleepy faced, just woke up or whatever. And he's like, yeah, you know, I just woke up. What do you need? I was like, oh, we're here to check for a leak. You know, you called us. You wanted us to come out and check for a leak because you had a high water bill. He's like, yeah. He's like, well, isn't that out there at the curb? Why, do you, why are you knocking on the door? I was like, well, that's kind of a dick thing to say. But either way, he just kind of shrugged it off. And so I was like, I was like, yeah, well, it's out there. But, you know, I, I pulled up and I seen there was use still on the meter. So I wanted to make sure there was nobody using any water in the house. And he's like, no, I'm here by myself. I've been asleep. No one's using any water. And I was like, well, if there's no one using any water, you have a pretty substantial leak. <laughs> and he's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. There's no one here. And I was like, well then you have a substantial leak. That's what I'm telling you. Right. And so I was like, I was like, well, I was like, if you want to just go make sure 100% check all the faucets in the house, check outside water hose, make sure you didn't leave a water hose on in the back or just wherever you can think of dishwasher connections, washer dryer, stuff like that. Anything you can think of where water would be coming from. So he went in checked for a couple minutes and I went out to my truck and I have a way to actually calculate how much gallons per minute is actually going through the meter. Just a few simple math equations and you can figure it out. So he goes in to check, and then I, uh, I I do my calculations on the meter, and I come up with 1.6 gallons per minute. So he's using a little over one and a half gallons every minute, and he's telling me there's no water on. And so I go back, and I was like, you find anything on? He's like, no, I didn't find anything on. And I was like, okay, well, then you have a very substantial leak. The leak's showing 1.6 gallons per minute. And so then I went, so obviously that's gallons per minute, and I was like, okay, so this is what the gallons per hour is, this is the gallons per day, and then here's the gallons per month. And it came up to like 69,000 gallons per month. Holy shit. Yeah. So almost 70,000 gallons on a leak because he's telling me there's nothing on. And he's like, and so I was like, yeah, so this is 70,000 gallons a month, man. That's substantial. You know, you need to get a plumber out here. And he's like, and so then he, he just went really cunty. He's just like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to get a plumber out here. I'm not going to invest a lot of money to find this mysterious leak. And I was like, well, it's not a mysterious leak. I'm, I'm telling you, you have a leak right now. If you're sure there's nothing on in the house, I'm telling you, you have a 1.6 gallon per minute leak and you're using 70,000 gallons. And he's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. I don't have a leak. <laughs> Bold face looked at me. He's like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't have a leak. There's no, there's no water being used in the house. And if I had 70,000 gallons of water being used a month, you would, you would see it somewhere. And I was like, I don't know. I was like, man, I'm not a plumber. I just work with water meters. I don't know how leaks work. I'm assuming if the leak's under your house, under the foundation, it could be so far under the ground to where it just leaks straight down into the ground and you never see any visible signs above the ground and it just leaks straight down under your house. I was like, I don't know. Maybe that's a possibility. Maybe not. But your meter's showing 1.6 gallons per minute, and if you don't get it fixed, you're gonna have very hot water bills. And he's like, he's like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a leak, man. I was like, all right, well then, I guess you're just gonna have an extra six, nine thousand gallons on your bill. And I was like, have a good day. And he's like, well, he's like, and then so I started, I turned around, and started walking my truck, and he's like, he's like, can you get that in writing for me? You tell me I have a, a seventy thousand gallon a month leak. Can you get, can you put that in writing? I was like, well, I don't really have it. He's like, well, can you just write it down? I was like, I was like, yeah, you know what? Yep, sure can. So I went to my truck and grabbed one of our little green uh, door hanging notes that we normally leave, and so I just started writing on the back. So I wrote like, uh, I checked the customer's uh, water meter. It's showing 1.6 gallons per minute consumption. The customer's telling me that there's no water being used in the house, therefore indicating a leak. And I uh, wrote my name on it. I, I wrote my name uh, in print. I signed my name. I put the date. I put the time. And I went and handed that shit to him. Because he, he also said before I did that, he also was like, he's like, I don't know, man. I'm just going to have to call your manager. And I was like, I was like, uh, okay, her name's Amanda. You know, go ahead and do that. 
And so then I went and handed him this this note with it, and you know I read it out to him while I was handing it to him. I read him what it said, and I handed it to him, and he's like, he's like, that's bullshit. That's not what you. That's not what you were just saying. You weren't just saying that. He's like, whatever, fuck off, get out of here, and just slams the fucking door in my face. So he calls us because his water bill's been high. He calls us. He's like, hey, come check for a leak. I tell him he has a 1.6 gallon per minute leak, 70,000 gallons a month being used. He then looks at me straight in the eye and tells me I'm wrong. I don't have a leak. I'm not getting a plumber out here and slams the door and tells me to fuck off. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, exactly. So first thing I did, obviously, I called I called, uh, I called, called my boss Amanda up and I was, like, I was like, hey, I was like, this dude's, he's fucking super pissed. I was like, he has a 1.6 gallon per minute leak. And, uh, and she said, all right, we'll come to the office and we'll look at it. So. I went back to the office, and then we pulled up his account. From the last read we got from his meter, at that point, he had used 77,000 gallons. And that was for the previous month. And so we were just about to read for this new month as well. So last month, he had seventy-seven, a little over 77,000 consumption. And this month is going to be like another seventy-seven to 80,000 gallons consumption. And I believe we bill it something like $4.80 per 1,000 gallons. So the base fee, I believe, is $79. If like, That's if you use no water. So that's water, trash, service, and sewage. So if you use no water, it's $79. And then it's another $4.80 per thousand gallons. And then once you go over twenty or 25,000 gallons, that $4.80 actually goes up to something even more. Wow. So he's about to have a couple four or $500 water bills. and But he's apparently not going to look for some mysterious leak. That's good. Yeah. So uh, I, I, told, I told my boss, I was like, hey, if, if we do cutoffs and he's not paying his bill because he's a dumbass, I was like, please give, give me that address. I want to be the one that cuts that shit off. Fuck this guy. He's a kind. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, I hope that he ends up uh, with, you know, two or $3,000 worth of debt and water bills. Oh, he's going to, man. That'll, he's a fucking idiot. That'll be phenomenal. I mean, how are you going to call somebody out? It's their job to tell you if you have a leak. I tell you have a leak, and you tell me I'm a liar and slam the door <laughs> in my face. He said, like, well, maybe the meter's broken, maybe, or maybe it's on your side. And I, and I try to explain it, because if, if it's on our side, if the leak's on our side, you will not see that meter spin. Mm-hmm. Because the only way that meter spins is if the water goes through your meter onto your lines, and then it spins. So if the leak's on our side, it doesn't matter. Your meter's not going to spin anyway. Is you're right. not going to see it spin whatsoever. So the only way that your meter spins is if the water's going to your house. Therefore, you have a leak at your house. And he's, he's like, no. He's like, well, maybe the meter's broken. And I was like, well, they're mechanical meters. They can't spin unless something forces them to spin, a.k.a. water going through the meter. Right. I was like, there's something going through the meter, water. And so then I also did a check. I turned him off at the valve. And so when I turned the valve off, that stops him from drawing water from our mains, from the city main. Mm-hmm. As soon as I turned the valve off, meter stops spinning. Waited a couple of seconds, turned it back on, started spinning insulin again. Water's forcing through there. He's got a, he's got a seventy thousand gallon leak, and apparently he's not calling the plumber. If you do have to go out there and turn the water off, you still shouldn't do it. Oh no, I, I'm gonna turn it off, and I hope he's like just like at the door, sitting at the window. I'm just gonna just fucking stare at him as I slowly turn the valve off and lock that shit. <laughs> fucking idiot. With a man. nice complex lock on it too, so you yeah. can't pick that. Oh yeah, first. one of the big one of the big locks, definitely. You're just fucking retard. How are you gonna call me out there, ask me to check for a leak, and then you just tell me I'm a liar and slam the door in my face and tell me to fuck off? I hope, I hope, I hope he fucking doesn't have water for two months because he can't pay his bill. I fucking love whenever customers think they know how to do your job better than you do. Yeah. Like, bitch, I've been doing this for six to six months to two years for you. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I know a little bit better for you who's never been in a fucking meter box or up on a ladder fixing stuff. Exactly. You know? It's fucking, it's stupid, man. But either way, I mean, you know, what are you going to do about it? I do have a solution. What's that? Gene manipulation. G- okay, well, that's a, that's a smooth, flawless transition. So we're going to talk about some gene manipulation, and that's that's a great transition. So we both watched a video just a little bit earlier, and it was talking about gene manipulation. So when I came home from the store today, you were actually watching this video, and we, and we restarted it, and then we both watched it together. 
And it was, like I said, it was talking about gene manipulation. So go ahead and go into a little bit of that, what the video was talking about. All right. So essentially what has happened is that we have found something that exists in any bacteria cell and therefore exists in most animal cells and plant cells as well that it's called CRISPR. It's essentially a DNA manipulation tool that is used to combat viruses and uh, other harmful cells and whatnot. And it can also be used to serve our own purposes. Yeah, and so what we've seen, or at least what the video was saying, was it was found in bacteria. And essentially what it is, it's like a little fragment of DNA. And so what this DNA does is that once a virus imprints its own DNA into the DNA of that bacteria, that bacteria then, if they, if they don't die because of it, if they stay alive, then they have some kind of system that goes through and unlocks this, uh, this little track of DNA, right? So what that DNA does is it like makes a clone of that uh, virus's DNA and it kind of like puts it back in a file, right? And so what it does is when that virus attacks it again, uh, what it's going to do is it's going to essentially put out a, a signal of some sort to where it's then going to uh, start looking over its files that it, you know, that it filed back and it's going to see, okay, hey, this is that fragment of DNA that it just found. And so then it's going to scan the whole cell or all of the cells from the bacteria and it's going to check and see if it finds that fragment again. And if it does find that fragment again from the same virus, then what it does is it completely cuts that virus DNA out of its own DNA and doesn't harm it anymore. So it's like a warning system of sorts. Yeah, and uh, we actually found ways to manipulate that warning system and to use it to modify cells as we want to. Yeah, and so, I mean, that can lead to a few different things. I mean, one of the, a few of the things they talked about, obviously, was just uh, genetically modified foods and stuff like that. That's where some of that came from. Also talked about designer babies, which we'll go into a little bit later as well. And so it made it to where, like, with the old gene manipulation, how we used to do it in the old days, it was really, it cost a lot, right? It was very cost-intensive, and it took a long time to do as well. So with this new form of gene manipulation they found called CRISPR, they're now able to cut costs of gene manipulation by 99%. They said virtually overnight. When they found this, overnight, the cost for gene manipulation then got cut 99%. And it also used to take maybe over a year or something like that to uh, to do the gene manipulation, and now it's, uh, you know, just... a a number of weeks. So finding this little fragment of DNA from bacteria called that they're calling CRISPR that they're that they're using in other cells cut costs by 99% and sped up the time from over a year to a few weeks. Yeah, I mean this isn't just a step in the right direction. This is a fucking leap. It's a fucking nosedive dolphin dive straight into progress. Yeah, definitely. So I mean like with this kind of stuff and you know what we're talking about like especially going into designer babies. So I mean, you know, that's a topic that you know, I don't know, it, it seems pretty relevant now. Uh, just especially because they found this new thing because they were able to do so many things. They were able to combat different diseases in mice and stuff like that. And they've also, one of the, one of the statistics they gave was that in mice, they infected with uh, the HIV virus and using this CRISPR clung onto different uh, DNA in those mice. They reduced the amount of the HIV virus that they could find in the cells or in the DNA of up to almost 50%. I think it was 48%. They took away almost 50% of the HIV infected cells or DNA. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty fucking astounding. I mean, it's not quite there yet to where we can cure it, but, I mean, in a couple more years, if we keep progressing this technology and learning how to manipulate this stuff better, then we can essentially fucking eliminate HIV and other diseases, you know? Like, one thing that they were talking about is that while it can't be directly used to eliminate cancer, it can be used to modify the immune system cells, like white blood cells and shit like that, to combat cancer, to make it better at targeting those cancer cells and eliminating them before they can replicate. Yeah, and so, I mean, you know, and that's just early stages, right? This is version one. Yeah, this so, is the pre-alpha of CRISPR. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, you have to think if they're if they're being able to do all this at this point, there's probably going to be at some point to where they are able to completely eliminate cancer with gene manipulation. Now, what they are saying is that 
The thing about gene manipulation, if you do not get it in any of the sex cells, either the eggs or this or the sperm or a young embryo, that those genes then do not imprint on the DNA to where it would carry over across a timeline. So if you didn't do it as to a, a either a semen cell, an egg cell, or an embryo, then say you did it on somebody that was, you know, 10 years old and they had uh, cancer, you know, a child that, with cancer. If you do it on them, then it's not going to imprint on their DNA to where, if, say, they had kids, that it would pass down to those kids. You would have to do it on something younger. But if you get, did start to do it on those sex cells or those embryos or something like that, then it would lock onto the DNA to where they would pass it along just as, you know, reproducing. So at that point, then you could actually have it go into the, the gene pool as a whole, and it can start essentially making new humans that are immune to cancer, immune to HIV, immune to, you know, whatever other diseases, you know, insert disease name here. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty fucking phenomenal because all that's going to do is keep spreading, you know. One kid has more kids, you know, that's going to eventually weed out all the bad genes in the gene pool. And essentially we're going to be left with a race of superhumans. Yeah, but I mean, you know, so there are good applications for it as well. But I mean, thinking about some of the bad applications for it, I mean, you can think, you know, because right now it's still in its infancy, right? You have to think if, if somebody fucks something up, what happens if they make some super virus that clings onto our DNA that wipes out the whole population? Because, I mean, that is a very real possibility. So, I mean, it's something that you have to take one stride at a time. You have to be careful with it. You have to you have to do it the correct way and go through the correct conditions to get it done. But if used correctly, it could propel the human race into something better than what we are now. Yeah, it definitely could. So another thing you could think of is it could increase the gap between the wealthy and the poor. Because if you're making these designer babies, right, I'm sure the shit's not going to be cheap. At least not initially. Maybe, you know, years down the line it becomes a lot cheaper. I mean, granted, the cost of it has been a lot cheaper now, but doing it on a human, I'm assuming there's a lot of risk factors in there, and so there's going to be a lot of money involved with that until you get it down to a perfect science. So right now, only the rich and the wealthy are going to be able to have these designer babies that are immune to cancer and stuff like that, but not only just immune to diseases. Because, I mean, if you can if you can do that to the DNA, you can also start splicing DNA to where you can make your kids stronger, faster, smarter, and essentially, as you said, make superhumans. And so if you start having these super intellectual, super athletic, you know, super charismatic, well-spoken, all these, you know, great qualities that we, you know, see in all these brilliant minds. If you start having all that and only the wealthy can pay for it, then the wealthy kids that come from the rich stock are going to be designer babies. So they're going to be smarter than the average kid. They're going to be faster. They're going to be stronger. That essentially increases this gap exponentially because if only the wealthy can do it, then that means the wealthy kids are the smart ones. That means the wealthy kids get the best jobs, that they stay wealthy, then they still have this gene manipulation, and then it's just over and over and perpetual. It's never going to stop. So then that increases that gap. And so anybody that's not wealthy and doesn't have the money to have one of these designer babies, essentially you're making a baby that's not going to do shit in life because all the good jobs and everything else is taken up by these designer babies. And unless that becomes cost-effective for everybody, then if you have a kid and you're not wealthy, you're essentially setting that kid up for failure for the rest of their life. Oh, yeah. I mean, all this is doing is perpetuating the wealthy family because, you know, each generation is just going to stockpile more and more and more money on top of already family treasury, you know? Exactly. And it's just going to keep widening that gap. And, I mean, also with that, that's how you get, you know, mega leaders like Hitler who fucking came in here and started talking all this crazy shit to all these people and manipulated to them to do his bidding because he was wealthy and he had that power. You know, he's charismatic. He had all these good genes that people look for in people. Was Hitler wealthy? I'm pretty sure he came from a wealthy family. I don't, I don't know. I'm talking on my ass, so I'll let you. I'll let you talk on it. But I mean, if that's the case, I mean, it, it could definitely lead to something like that. So I mean, there are benefits. But I mean, the other benefit is that, say, maybe it becomes cost effective. You could then, as we've said before, 
you know, propel the human race to a better place, to where we're all smarter, we're all, you know, faster, stronger, we're all superhumans. And so, I mean, there's, you know, there's so many different applications for it. So, I mean, there's good and there's bad to it. I mean, what what's your stance on it? Where do you stand? Do you think it's something, because, I mean, you know, we've talked about as far as uh, bringing animals back to life that went extinct and stuff like that. And you said, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's weird, it's a weird moral area. So, I mean, what about gene manipulation? I mean, that's, that seems like it would be the same stance, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's very close. I mean, in the end, I think for the human race to survive, it may be a thing we have to look to. Because, like I said, I think the the thing that's going to wipe us out is probably going to be some megavirus, like I said in the last podcast. And I think the gene manipulation may be the only way to combat that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely something that we could use as a tool for that scenario. But then again, it could also be the very tool that causes that super virus to pop up. Okay, so with these designer babies and with, with gene manipulation that, you know, roots out all forms of diseases and viruses and stuff like that. So say, you know, what's that obviously going to do? That's going to extend our lifetime, right? If no one's dying from cancer anymore, I mean, that's still going to increase the population. We already have overpopulation in the world as it is. When we get to a point to where there's, the diseases aren't taking us out anymore, which is a, a huge leading cause of death, I'm sure more people die of diseases than car accidents and other shit combined, you know, just random acts, you know, random events or whatever. So if diseases is the main thing that takes us out and we are no longer susceptible to diseases, overpopulation becomes even worse. And then that leads to food crisis and stuff like that. What happens at that point? Do we, I mean, how are we able to grow enough food and to feed all of these people that aren't dying anymore from normal diseases? Genetic manipulation will be the answer there as well, because we're already using GMO food to mass produce food to feed a growing population. Yeah, but I mean, at some point, you have to think about just actual space, land space to grow enough food. Because right now we're at what, like seven and a half billion people on the earth or whatever. I don't, you know, I don't think it's going to last too much, you know, up to 10 billion or something like maybe like at some point you're going to run out of space to grow crops, even if they are huge ears of corn and huge tomatoes and shit like that. You need more space. So, I mean, if we keep going as we're going and, you know, this isn't wiping us out anymore. So, I mean, saying that diseases are gone, what's the next thing that kills us is aging. And they're saying they're, th- they're thinking that they could possibly take out the genes that make us age because they're doing like they've done stuff like that with tomatoes. They've they've made uh, GMO tomatoes that last a lot longer and stay fresh a lot longer because they took out a gene that caused rot and stuff like that to happen. And so if they do the same thing and people are living a lot longer. We're going to have a fucking, we're going to have a crisis here. I mean, we're already overpopulated as it is. See, I, I watched another video a little bit earlier that was talking about overpopulation. And he said that each society goes through essentially four stages of population. I don't remember exactly what they're called or anything like that. But he said that in the end, whenever healthcare and uh, intellect and all that rises, the birth rate goes down. So essentially the mortality rate and birth rate stabilize at the end. You're stuck at a stable level. You're not necessarily keep growing is levels out. So, I mean, they were still saying like, you know, what if we could, you know, if we could take the aging process out, but so you take the aging process out, no one's getting killed from diseases and, but everyone's a lot smarter as well. So you're having less kids, but even the fact he was saying, if you take the age process out, it's not out of the realm of possibility that, you know, saying no crazy accidents happen, that a human could live 3,500 years or something crazy, you know, a couple centuries. So, I mean, even still, even if everyone's smarter, if you're still living for centuries, there's still going to be people fucking people fuck. That's how people, people love to fuck. And there's going to be condoms that break. There's going to be people that don't use condoms, all this kind of stuff. And so, I mean, are they going to have to do something? Is, doesn't China have some kind of population thing to where if uh, you can only have like one kid or some shit like that because they're overpopulated now? 
That sounds like something that would be true. I'm pretty sure it is. Either that or I'm just throwing out some random bullshit fact that everyone perpetuates or whatever. But either way, I mean, so we're going to have to put some some laws in place to where you can't have more than one kid or, you know, you can't have any kids if you get to one point or something like that. Or we just pray that at the point that we get to a stage where we are living for centuries and centuries that we have the ability to spread out to different planets. Yeah, because I guess if, if everyone's a superhuman designer baby and everyone's so much smarter, then we can solve a lot of the problems that we're having now that we can't travel to other places. So, I mean, we've talked about wormholes before and stuff like that to where you could instantly travel somewhere, you know, thousands of light years across the galaxy. Well, say, you know, what if we can't get to that technology? What if we can't get to wormholes, but we can get to the speed of light technology? What if that's the case? Uh, we've talked about the Higgs boson and taking that out of, of other shit. And, you know, there's, you know, all this crazy shit that could happen. But say, what if we just get to the point where we can just travel to the speed of light? Well, if we can travel at the speed of light and, it, and there's a there's another solar system a thousand light years away, well, obviously to us, that's still, there's no way we can reach it. It would take a thousand years to get there. It would take 10, 15 generations to get to that place, right? Living on a spaceship. But if everyone's living until they're 3,500 years old, then a thousand years is a third of their life. That's essentially like a young adult. It's like a 25-year-old, like how old I am right now. So, I mean, essentially what it would be is if you got on a spaceship when you were a baby, when you were just born, and you know you're going to live until, you know, 3,500, you travel 1,000 light years. So, I mean, in the same ratio, you would essentially be 25 years old even though you were 1,000 years old, you know? So, I mean, you're essentially a young adult when you get to this new solar system or something like that. Yeah, and another way to look at that, too, is that if we do find that we are in need of another planet, we could send a probe out to that planet, and, you know, a couple thousand years from now, it'll read back, send messages back to us on how, what the statistics on that planet are like. And then we can GMO, or we can genetically modify those children, the embryos, and uh, keep keep them in vitro and send them off to that planet with a caretaker. And so they, they can uh, fertilize and grow on that planet with uh, certain adaptations to live on that planet. So you're, so you're talking about actually having like the embryos in, embryos in cryo or something mm, like that. Yeah. A cryo sleep to where, you know, they stay alive for thousands of years or whatever. So, I mean, that's another thing we're talking about. You know, do we ever get to the point where we can get cryo? Where you can just essentially go to sleep for, you know, however long and then wake up in a new place the exact same age you were. Mm-hmm. Or essentially, you know, like keep the embryo in the womb, a uh, fake womb, obviously, but yeah. keep it in the womb until it arrives on that point. Just keep it sustained on fluids and shit, not growing, but not decaying either. Well, but then you would, I mean, so what are you talking? Are you talking test tube babies? Because you would also need, you would have to input that embryo into a, into a human at some point to let it grow. Or you're talking just babies from test tube. Yeah. And how many caretakers are going? Test tube babies. Okay, with, well, then you're going to have to have a lot a of... a couple hundred caretakers. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I don't know if that, if that could be a possibility that would work at all, but it's an interesting thought, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I, mean, I just love finding random shit like this on YouTube. I mean, you know, you just randomly found these videos today, and then you brought it up when I got home from, from uh, the store or whatever. I mean, I know the other day I was, I was randomly looking through my YouTube feed, and just some random thing popped up, and it said, like, Lloyd Pye, everything you know is is a lie or something like that, or everything you know is wrong. I was like, what the fuck is this? Why is this popping up in my YouTube shit? And it was a two-hour fucking video. And so it's this dude actually giving a seminar, right? It's a seminar of... God, it's so... He went to so many different places, and it's two hours long, but it was it was, it was was actually really fucking phenomenal. I'm really glad I, I watched it all. But so it initially started like he was talking about Bigfoot. He was talking about early hominids and early humans and stuff like this. And so he was saying... So what we think of right now is that, you know, evolution obviously brought us to where we're at, right? That we evolved from early hominids, uh, you know, homo, homo erectus and all this other shit. And what he was saying was, you know, the history books have it wrong. 
to where uh, if you look, if you look at any early hominid picture, right, they have a somewhat human-looking face, and then, or excuse me, uh, I said that incorrectly. They have a somewhat monkey-looking face, to where it looks more like an ape, like a like a primate of sorts, not not necessarily human features, but more primate-ish. But the body looks directly like a human, and he was saying this is obviously an inconsistency, you know, with the bone structure that we have with these face bones and stuff like that, these skulls that we have. You know, we obviously know they look a lot more primate than we do, but then when we showed them, we showed them with a human body. And he says if they had a primate face, they would have a primate body. And then we start looking at some of the actual bones, the skeleton structure of these creatures, and they're a lot denser than ours. They're, they're a lot more thick. And he says this is made for something, because the bones are directly related to how strong your muscles are. Your bones are the stability for your muscles. Because if you have a really thin bone and a really strong muscle, as soon as you flex that muscle, it's going to pop that fucking bone and break it. So if you have these giant fucking bones, you must have these giant fucking muscles. And so what he was saying was, you know, we're, we're, sh- we're showing these pictures to where these creatures, you know, have a monkey face with a human body. He says, it's bullshit. They're going to have a monkey body as well. They're going to have an ape body. And these things were huge and fucking immense and powerful. Like these things are six, seven foot tall. And he's saying that's actually where, you know, where we think Bigfoot is and stuff like that. And so what he was also saying, there's essentially four different categories of like cryptozoology primates or something, you know, like Bigfoot, the Yeti, uh, uh, orang pendek and something else. I forget. So one of those, the orang pendek is like in the jungles of I don't know, Peru or some shit. Bolivia. Yeah. You know, some crazy country like that. And so it's, it's obviously just talked about. It's like a myth out, out there. And they say it's actually not like a Bigfoot. It's like a really small, like a hobbit person, like three foot tall or something like that. And so we also, we've, and now we've recently found what we're calling an, a pre-human or an early human that is like what they called the hobbit. Uh, I think they actually, you know, it's like the little, phrase they gave for it. They're calling it the Hobbit skeleton or whatever because it's it's a really small three-foot humanoid, right? What he was saying that there's four essential pre-humans before Homo sapiens. And he's saying if you look in the world today with all the myths that go around with Bigfoot, with the Yeti, with Orang Pendek, that there's four mysteriously cryptozoology hominoids that, we, that are in myth today. And he's saying that we have skeletons of four hominoids that we're calling pre-humans and we have myths of four hominoids they were calling, you know, cryptozoology myths, right? And he's saying that's not that's not a coincidence. It's the same fucking thing. He said those hominoids are are still alive today, and they've just got pushed back, and you know all this shit. So he talked about how evolution, at least for the human race, is bullshit. He says we didn't evolve from from these early hominoids. He said if you look at the bone structure and stuff like that, he said it would have, you know, we're we're still looking for the missing link, the link that links us, or you know, the the crossover that links us between. Homo sapiens and Homo erectus or whatever. We're still looking for it. We've never found it. He's saying you're not going to find it because it's not there. He said to have that big of a jump between the bone structure and how they were, you would need 30, 40 iterations before you got to Homo sapiens. He says there's not going to be one missing link. And the fact that we haven't found even one of these 30 or 40 iterations tells him that that's all bullshit. He's, and he, says, he also said, like, if you look at the throat structure, if you look at the throat structure of all apes, apparently it's completely laid out different than humans. They can essentially breathe while they swallow or something like that. Whereas, you know, the humans, we can't do that. Obviously, we have what is it, the epiglottis mm-hmm. that covers the trachea or whatever that allows you. It closes when you swallow and opens when you breathe. He says apes, uh, all primates like that, they can actually breathe and swallow at the same time and make noises as, as they're swallowing or, or something like that. He also says that their throat structure doesn't allow speech. He says, while we've tried so many times, he says, it, you know, it's physically impossible. And I don't know any of this. So let me preface by saying I'm not saying I know this is his his ideas. 
So if he's talking out of his ass, go yell at him about it. <laughs> but he says that their throat structure is, is made in such a way, all primates, to where they can't have speech as we consider speech. Because what we do, we can make a lot of noises. We can't make some of the noises they can make. They can't make the noises we can't make. And the reason is because our throat structure allows us to break up phrases. So you can say small little bits of different sounds. But what primates, they don't, it, don't, it doesn't allow them to modulate those, those noises. So they make these screams, these yells, because they can't modulate. And so he says that we, you can't teach a primate to talk because they're, they're essentially they don't have the right tools for it. They don't have the tools for the job. But he's saying if we came from primates, we should, you know, how are we able to talk and stuff like this? He's saying, you know, that it would have taken, once again, 30 or 40 iterations to get us to the same point that we're at now. And so he's saying how we found none of those leads him to believe that it's all bullshit. They're trying to force feed you this information and tell you, hey, we actually came from monkeys and Homo erectus and stuff like this. But in real, all reality, what his theory was led back into what we've talked about before with the Anunnaki. He's saying, you know, as the Anunnaki said, that they came down, they took the early hominoids that were here, they spliced some DNA manipulation, as we were talking about with genes a little bit earlier, and they spliced some genes around and then made Homo, uh, homo sapiens. And so, I mean, you know, that's some crazy shit to think about. Because when you, you think that... All history books say that, you know, at least with evolution, that we came from monkeys and stuff like that. He's saying that's bullshit. There's no way we could have. We need 30 or 40 iterations. Our throat is not mapped out the same. Our bone density isn't the same. These were seven-foot-tall creatures that weighed a 1,000 pounds. We wouldn't have evolved from those in, in one iteration. And so, I mean, when you stop to think about that, you know, and me, I've always personally believed in evolution as far as we came from monkeys. You know, that's what I've always personally thought. And then this one seminar watching this guy talk about it, he was so poised and well-spoken, and you could tell he knew what the fuck he was talking about. He's done a lot of research into this shit. And that one thing started making me thinking, like, man, you know, the fucking story of the Anunnaki sounds a little bit more fucking, you know, it sounds a little bit more plausible now. I mean, I don't know. I don't even know what to fucking believe anymore. Like, that that, that was a ground-shaking thing for me because, as you, you know, we both said, we're, we've both believed in science a lot and stuff like that. But, I mean, the thing about science is you have to admit when you're wrong. Because if you don't admit when you're wrong, then you're never going to get to the right place. And so what he's saying is what, what happened now is that we've come so far to where they just have to essentially, they know that it's bullshit. He's saying the scientists that are doing this, they know there's no missing link. But it's come this far to where they can't go back now. They've, they've crested over the hill where they, there's no return, right? And if they were to now say that, hey, what we know is wrong, then that now, so it implies that what else are they wrong about? You know, is is the sun the center of the universe? And all this, do we have eight planets? Is there Nerubu flying around that we don't know about? They say that's fringe science. But if evolution is then disproven as a fringe science, what else that is fringe science is actually the truth? Yeah, so that's essentially shaking all the grounds of the science that we've figured out over these hundreds of years. And like you said, what else could they fucking be wrong about? So, I mean, going back a little bit into what we were just talking about with gene manipulation, he was also talking about how, so with every animal, they have a coating on their brain. And essentially what this coating is, I forget what it's called. I'm not a scientist. But what the coating is, it's essentially it determines the intellect capacity for that animal. And so with all these different animals, they did this study, right? They take this coating off the brain. You can it's Think of it like butter, I guess. It's, it's a smearable substance of some sort. And so say you can take it off the brain. They say if you like take it off a field mouse, it'll cover it'll like if you spread it on something, it'll cover the surface area of a postage stamp. And then they said like a like a monkey, like a like a spider monkey or something like that, it would cover the size of a letter, like a letter you send in the mail. If you take it off of a chimpanzee or something like that, it's going to cover one one sheet of copy paper. 
And then if you take it off a human, it's covering four sheets of copy paper. And so that obviously shows the amount of intellectual capacity that each of these animals have. So what he was saying is that with all these other animals, they use 100% of their allotted smear of intelligence, whatever the fuck it is. They use 100% of, of the allotted uh, amount that they have. However, humans, he says, use one. Like So if, you, if we have four pages of copy paper that it would go on, we use uh, essentially one and a quarter paper out of our four allotted. And he says we're the only animals that only use a, a fraction of the amount available to us. And he says, obviously, that's weird. Every other animal in the animal kingdom uses the whole the whole capacity, whereas we use one and one-fourth. And, you know, it's it's been some shit that, we you know, everyone's heard over the ages to where we don't use, we use 10% of our brain power. Well, they actually think it's more than 10%, but they do say that it's not fully. It's not the full amount, right? So what he was saying is what, essentially, how this came to be was from the Anunnaki, once again. They came down here, they spliced with uh, chimps or, or whatever, early hominids, they spliced those, put some of their DNA in it, and made it made a hybrid where where the Homo sapiens came from. And so what he was saying is what they essentially did was they in, they went into our genes and they locked off that amount because they wanted us to be smarter than the average uh, than the average primates that they used, but they didn't want us to be as smart as them because we were their slaves. If the, if we were as smart as them, we would revolt, right? They wanted to keep us smart enough to be able to to take instructions, do tasks, be self sufficient of somewhat, but still be enough of a slave to their race. And so what he was saying is they locked off that other three and three quarters pages of our intellectual capacity that we got from them through our genes. So do you think that with this gene manipulation saying that's correct, that we could actually somehow go into our genes and, you know, take that whatever block is out to where it allows us to use our full allotted amount of this substance? God, man, I hope so. Because like you said, that would increase uh, IQ exponentially, man. I think we were talking a little bit earlier, and you said, like, the highest IQ is in the low 200s, right? Yeah, I think it's, like, 200-something. I mean, don't quote me. It's 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 200-something. It's definitely not three. But, I mean, you said that, I mean, if we're using all four pages of our intellect, you know, that could go up to 600, 700, something like that, something crazy, you know, and that would allow us to fucking make huge advances in technology and whatnot if we actually utilize that. And another point I wanted to bring up was that if we are directly descend, or directly descended from monkeys and shit, why do they only have one page and we have four? That's true. I mean, and once again, he was saying, well, you know, maybe that could have happened over millennia or something like that. But he was saying you would need 30 or 40 iterations of evolution to get to where we're at. We haven't found one of those 30 or 40 ev- uh, pages, right? He says we would probably have at least stumbled upon one of those. There's a lot. There's a high probability of it if we're finding these other hominids, right? So kind of along that same train of thought, if we came from monkeys... It's also stated, or Lloyd Pye stated in that in that seminar that he was saying that all other apes have 48 chromosomes, where we have, as humans, 46. And he says, so what you're telling me is that over this evolutionary period, we lost two chromosomes from our ape ancestors, but somehow got smarter, somehow got past where they are, but we lost two chromosomes. He said that you would think that they would be smarter if we lost two, but they're not. So he's saying, you know, how do we lose these two chromosomes? And what he was saying, and I forget he went into detail on it, but he was saying, you know, it would be a lot harder to try to pair or to add two chromosomes to us. So instead of 48, we would have 50 because if we use two of their chromosomes, two of the Anunnaki's chromosomes, he says the easier way is to take one away and then splice that together with one of their DNAs. So he's saying one or one of their chromosomes. So what he was saying was one of their one of the chromosomes where we have 46 because all of our chromosomes are they're single lines, right? If you, if you look at our chromosomes, right? They're single lines, and then you get to the last pair, and it's two. And what he's saying is that's because that's spliced together. 
And so there's there's the, the picture of chromosomes where you see the X. I want to say all the other chromosomes, if you see them like laid out, you can see them like they're like two lines that are like right beside each other, right? Two, two vertical lines right beside each other. However, the last set of chromosomes is an X that are formed together. They're like fused together. And he's saying those are the fused chromosomes from our Anunnaki ancestors. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, that's some that's crazy as fuck. So, I mean, he went through so many different things on that seminar that, that just led me to believe, you know, it's like, well, maybe we're not being told the truth. And, I mean, he just had all all this evidence to back everything up and shit. Well thought out, well spoken. I mean, it was a phenomenal thing to go into. So, I mean, if we have been lied to about that, then have we also been lied to about stuff like Bigfoot? I mean, well, you know, if, if they're, you know, if we're lied to about this, you know, if that, say that is the case and that they know we didn't really come from Bigfoot and stuff like that, or these other early humanoids, I mean, it's definitely a possibility they would want to cover that up at some point, if they have that knowledge. If they know that, you know, if it's some kind of conspiracy to keep us in the dark. And, you know, fucking, what about religion as well? I mean, you don't eat from the tree of knowledge, right? What if all of this was just, it's somewhat imprinted on us? What if it's all a giant conspiracy? I mean, you know, what if religion was made to keep us ignorant? You know, it's like, don't eat from the tree of knowledge and all this kind of stuff. And so this just goes back millennia and millennia from the people that know this knowledge of the Anunnaki and stuff like that and don't want us to know that for whatever reason, whatever agenda it is. Or the religion is just a direct telling of the Anunnaki. You know, God is the Anunnaki and the tree of knowledge is them locking off that part of our brain that we can't use. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a possibility. And, and saying like, what, so as we said with the demon manipulation, what if we can unlock that? You know, at that point, you know, we get people with eight, nine hundred IQs or something astronomical way off the scale or whatever. What if we're able to then transcend, as we've said before, and go like, possibly different dimensions? Maybe at that point, if you're so far intellectually past where we're at now, you can go, in, you can see the different realms, the different dimensions, and all this, and just unlock all these other keys of the universes that we're that we're not able to do right now because we are locked off from that other three and three quarters pages of our of our total intellect. So something I just thought of was: Do you think that the Anunnaki, if that is the case and that is what happened, do you think that they intentionally made us slaves, or did they just put a little seed of intellect on this planet to let it develop into whatever it would? And they're waiting for us to develop and come meet them out there in the stars. Well, I mean, the the telling of the story says that they made us as slaves. So I think it was it was done purposely. You, you as as Lloyd Pye was saying in the seminar, you make them smart enough to be able to take orders, be self sufficient, but not smart enough to revolt. You know, over the gods. You, you want to keep, and it's the same thing with anybody in power, right? I mean, you, you think about just like to lordships and stuff like that back in the dark ages. Yeah, you give your peasants food. You just don't give them enough food. You know, and you just, you always keep them one, you know, you need them to be dependent on you for that to work. Same thing with governments. They give you what you need, but not enough of it. So you have to be dependent on the government. That's the only way to keep anybody in check. Any That's the only way to stay in power, no matter what you're trying to do, is to keep them needing you for some reason. And... Maybe that's what they did. Maybe they, you know, we needed them for whatever the case was. So to the origin story of the Anunnaki, maybe that's why we're so trans, transfixed with gold. You know, gold is, is in every fucking culture over the world. I mean, primitive cultures loved gold. The ancient Egyptians, the Aztecs. I mean, all these cultures just fucking thought gold was this most precious thing ever, right? Everyone strived to get gold. Why do we have such an ingrained, innate desire to have gold? Is it because, I mean, as the Anunnaki story says, that they needed gold for our atmosphere and we had to work in gold mines for them. So if we're sitting there saying, like, hey, the, our gods, these guys, you know, that are so much smarter than us and these have these flying ships that go through the sky and all this stuff, they think this shit's really valuable. This shit must be really valuable. It's one of those, hey, he has that, I want that. 
You know, right. it's just like what your brain tells you. So you're sitting there thinking, hey, they thought it was valuable. This, this, this shit's valuable for some reason. I want that too. And so maybe that's why the gold's so ingrained in all these cultures across the world is because that story is is correct. It's the truth. Then if it is, then why haven't they come back to collect on their fruits of their labor yet? I mean, maybe they got all that they needed. They fixed their atmosphere, and then they left us to be our, to do our own bidding. But still, I mean, you, you'd have to think that they would have invested quite a bit of time and shit coming over here and making us slaves and quite a bit of effort. Then why wouldn't they at least use us for something else at that point? Well, I mean, you know, they're still, uh, you know, you're saying coming back and see the fruits of your labor or whatever. I mean, they're still, I mean, we have UFO sightings all the time. You know, there's there's UFO sighting, there's UFO sightings. All UFO the, sightings. Shining all over the place. So I'm trying, I'm trying to cut this out, and now I had to cut all this out. No, you don't. Yeah, do. you have to leave this in. I'm not leaving this in. So there's UFO sightings all over the place, and so maybe those UFO sightings are the Anunnaki coming back to check in on us to see how we're progressing, and maybe at some point when they think that we are, you know, we're where we need to be, maybe they do come back and make that contact again. Maybe they do come back and show us what we've actually been missing. I hope so, man. I hope that we, in our lifetimes, get to see that. You know. Get to see either our masters or our saviors. Not sure which it'll be, but let's hope it's our saviors. I don't. I don't want it to be masters. But I mean, another. So going back, going back to the Lloyd Pye interview. You know, he was talking about all these early hominids and how he says. You know, his theory is that that you know they're still real. There's four distinct, different descriptions of cryptozoology hominoids across this earth, and we have four pre ancestors that fit those descriptions. He's saying that they're still alive. I mean, what's your stance on Bigfoot? I mean, you just asked if I if I thought it they could be lying about that as well. I mean, yeah, I, I think they definitely could. So, I mean, what do you think about it? I 100% believe in Bigfoot. I mean, the Patterson film has to be evidence enough, man. Because you can see this thing with tits walking through the woods, and it has a fucking hernia on its leg. Yeah. I mean, I remember the first time that I noticed, because I've seen the Patterson film many a times before that. But I remember the first time I was watching I was watching a documentary on, you know, History Channel or whatever over Bigfoot, because who fuck won it? Bigfoot's awesome. And I remember I was sitting there with one of my friends, Cody, and we were watching it, and I remember I seen it. It was in, it was back like when we first got DVR, so you could rewind and stuff like that. I was like, holy fuck, it's got tits. He's like, what? What are you talking about? And so we were we rewound the video, and then obviously you could see you could see breast on the image. And, I mean, the fact that, you know, they're saying in 1970 that Roger Patterson and them, they made a monkey suit and walked through the forest because, and to try to trick everybody and get rich or whatever. When I say gorilla to you, what do you think of? A big fucking ripped male animal. Yeah. You think of this giant fucking crazy gorilla beating on his chest, you know, but you don't think of a female gorilla with tits. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe they just really like tits. Maybe, you know, that could have been a thing. But it seems to me if you're going to make a monkey suit, the last thing you would think of would be to put breast on that monkey suit. Yeah, and I mean, especially back in the 1970s, you know, they were a little bit more conservative back then than we are now, too. So, I mean, you wouldn't think that they would just put breasts on it just to prove a point. I mean, as you said with the hernia as well, I mean, they, they had some scientists go over the film, and then what they said was that they looked at the the movement of the muscles under the skin, and they saw what they clearly defined as a herniated muscle under the skin. So they said unless, and another thing that what they were saying was the way it walked. Uh, I forget which documentary this was. There's thousands of them out there. But they were saying in one of these documentaries that the way it walked on the Patterson film was inhumanly possible. Like, even if you're in a monkey suit, you can't walk like that. They said for us to walk like that, we would essentially have to dislocate and relocate our pelvis every time we stepped. 
to achieve that same form of walking that's in that video. You would have to dislocate each side of the pelvis every time you walked and relocate that pelvis. They said it's not humanly possible to walk like that, even if you're in a monkey suit. Also, besides the Patterson film, like uh, we were just taking a break from doing the podcast, and we were out there watching videos, and we uh, listened to one of a Bigfoot screech. You know, just hearing that high-pitched, eerie thing, you know that's not fucking human. You know that that's something that triggers something, a fear within us. Because, I mean, we both said, holy shit, that's fucking terrifying. Yeah. And, I mean, now you, now you also brought up the point, and we're out there, some of it could be audio editing. And, I mean, there's no way, obviously, for us to know that. I would assume that some audio experts that listen to it, maybe they confirm or deny if it's, if it's, if it's tampered with. But, I mean, some of that stuff, that just sends a fucking chill down your back. It stands your hair up, and... It's just something, it feels like it's not human. And they always say, you know, there's, you know, go with the gut instinct, right? Because there's something there. There's something tangible about that. It's a evolutionary defense, or at least, you know, in our case, maybe it's evolutionary from the early ancestors or, or whoever, you know, maybe the Anunnaki. But it's some evolutionary defense to where when you hear that noise, you hear that fucking screech and your hair stands up, that's telling you there's danger around. Whenever you whenever you feel something, you know, if you watch a scary movie and you start getting goosebumps or something like that, that's because it's telling, you know, your brain's telling you, hey, your life's in danger. You need to get out of here. That's your flight or fight response going off. And when you hear some of those sounds, man, it's, it's it, you know, it puts you on edge. And it, even watching the Patterson film, it, like just staring at that creature. So right now, here's, here's another point of, of topic on that same train of thought. So staring at that creature, you just get a sense that it's real. You know, to me, I can't look at that and say that's a man in a, in a monkey suit. To me, I look at that and I'm like, that creature looks real. And this is in 1970 with grainy fucking films and stuff like that. Think about just today. Go watch Avatar. Looks fantastic. CGI is amazing. All this stuff. Go watch the new Jungle Book. Looks amazing. Those Jungle Cats look awesome. But they don't look real. There's no part of you while watching the Jungle Book or watching Avatar... Your brain doesn't say, hey, that looks like a real thing. No, it's that uncanny valley that we can't get over, right? That's something that we're trying to get through right now with robots and stuff. There's there's some part of you that says, yeah, it looks really good. It looks really close, but but it doesn't look real. There's something about it that doesn't look real, and that's with the CGI. When you look at that, I don't get that at all. I don't get that little feeling of, well, it could be a suit or something. No, there's nothing about me that says that couldn't. To me, my hair stands up on the back of my neck, and it tells me that's something that you don't want to fuck with. You need to turn around. You need to run. You don't want to be. You don't want to be anywhere near that. And to me, that seems like that's some uh, some defensive mechanism that's supposed to keep me alive. And I mean, too, looking at the Patterson film, you see that awesome fucking suit. And I mean, if it is a suit, and we can't fucking recreate that forty seven years later. I mean, none of the monkey suits or anything like that look that fucking good today. Yeah, I mean, I think they they talked to like costume costume makers and stuff like that, and they were saying we didn't have that technology back then. Hell, we don't have it now. To right. make something that looks that good. Because, you know, with say say you fake the hernia. Say you fake the tits. You have to fake the way those tits move. When it walks, you can see the tits bouncing. I mean, it's, they act like normal breasts would act. And to fake that back then, let alone today, is a feat in itself. And, I mean, I think there's just too much evidence to deny that. And I mean, you know, there's and people are like, oh, well, if, you know, why haven't we shot one or something like that? Why don't you why don't you find the buns of one? Go out in the woods where you know there's bears. Tell me if you find any bear bones whatsoever. Tell me if you find a bear skull. You're not going to fucking find it. It is very, very fucking rare that you happen across some some bones of an animal. There's so many scavengers and coyotes and 
birds of prey and fucking decomposition and fungi and decay. You don't find bones and bodies of dead animals out in the woods. It reclaims that. It uses that energy. Nothing's lost from it. So, I mean, if you try to make the argument, well, why haven't we, why haven't we got one or something like that? Other people, why haven't we shot and killed one and brought it in? There's been numerous reports of them shot. There's been numerous reports of them killed, but they at least have been shot and ran off into the woods. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, if you shoot that and it runs off in the woods and you don't track it, it's going to fucking, it's going to decompose. It's going to get eaten up by other shit. You're going to lose all evidence of that. There are hair samples that we have that have not been identified. The, the the hair cannot be identified to any other known creature. There's there's vocalizations that cannot be identified to any other uh, any other creature. Most or uh, excuse me, not most. I don't I don't know. Maybe it is most. A lot of these uh, footprints that they find and make cast of actually have uh, I think they call them subdermal ridges. And what that is, it's essentially a it's a fingerprint for your foot. Your foot has a same or has a unique fingerprint just as your hand does, just as your fingers do. And so. Th- in a lot of these casts, you can see these subdermal uh, prints to where if somebody is making a fucking fake foot, that they would have to put in a fake footprint as well or a fake, uh, you know, the print on it or whatever. And so there's so many other, it's like, why would somebody go to that much detail? And a lot of them as well, they say, you can tell the difference between an actual foot with flesh and bone in it and muscles and the way it moves and the track it leaves versus a wooden plank making a, a stamp of a foot imprint. They say you can tell that. There's a lot of them that they have that says, hey, this is this is not a, a wooden piece. This is fleshy, bony, muscly tissue right here that made this print. And they can tell that because there are people out there that specialize in that kind of shit with forensic science. So, I mean, there's so much overwhelming evidence about this about it that I don't think you can, I don't think you can say one way or another because we don't have a body. But with all the evidence out there, I don't think you can deny it outright either. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely reasonable doubt to be had with any of that. Another thing I wanted to bring up is that we do actually have photographs of that shit being shot and killed, you know? I mean, I don't know if they're real or not. I'm not a Photoshop expert or anything, but there are, uh, I remember seeing one black and white photo from, like, the 1950s where it had the head of one cut off and the hunter was holding it up. Yeah. I mean, that looked real to me. Like you said, it, whenever you see something that's animated or edited in or something, there's something in you that triggers, and you're like, oh, no, that's fake. That right. shit looks horrible. It looks like it's superimposed on this existing image. But on that, man, it looked like it was fucking there. Yeah, and then there was another one of those pictures where it had it hanging upside down from its feet. And it was just eight, nine foot tall. And, I mean, so you can go find these old images. And so, I mean, another thing that goes into, I mean, there's also some, I forget what it was called. I think it was just called the Mound Builders of North America. And what it was talking about, it was another another YouTube seminar or whatever dude was giving a speech about it. And he was talking about how there's these... Uh, giants that have been lost to our history books they used to they were actually civilized and built like a lot of geometrical shit and stuff like that in north america they've actually built uh, little hovels and stuff like that that you can they have astronomical significance and stuff and so he went over all, all these different things and there's actually there's actually notes in like scientific journals and stuff like that that were written about these so-called giant bones that were dug up or unearthed somewhere early you know in the 1900s or 1800s or something like that and they actually have it written down in the scientific journals about the bone density was so much more and stuff like this and these and with how big these bones are this creature should have would have stood 10 11 12 foot tall or something and and actually in a lot of these same uh, descriptions in different journals across different states and stuff like that they all claim double rows of teeth and so the double rows of teeth is like this staple with these giants or these mound builders in north america or something 
And it's actually, there's actually a condition to where humans can be susceptible to this double rows of teeth thing. But I mean, obviously it's very rare or something like that. But I mean, the fact that it's in all these scientific journals talking about 10, 12 foot tall giants and bones found and all this crazy shit, you know, back in the 1900s. But you've never, I've never fucking heard about that until I've watched that video. And there's all these other different rock structures and brick structures and stuff like that that are, that are claimed to be like root cellars from the early settlers or some shit like that. But these stones are just as big as some of the stones in like the fucking Great Pyramids. They're, you know, fucking 8, 9, 10, 20 tons rocks that are placed together so close without mortar that they hold themselves together. And it shows a intellect higher than, you know, some early, or at least what we know of what the early settlers would have built. There's no way they, they could move these fucking 12, 13, 14 ton rocks and have them slide perfectly in a place without mortar that holds itself up. Yeah, I remember one of the things in that video that you were talking about. Uh, they had, like, a giant snake that they built, and it was, like, a mile long or something like that, and they fucking piled these rocks together, then piled earth on top of it to perfectly represent the likeness of a snake. And you're telling me that some group of nomadic tribe people did this shit. No, that was some civilized group of people who did this, you know? That wasn't just something that roaming nomads did, just for the fucking fun of it. So here's the question I think I want to leave off with for you. We are both hunters, right? So saying that we're both in the woods, we're out hunting, we have our guns with us, and you see a Bigfoot. You see a Bigfoot walking across the wooded area. You're in no danger whatsoever. It doesn't see you. It's walking away from you. Its back's turned towards you. You have your gun. You know you can take a kill shot and settle this dispute once and for all. Do you take the shot? I don't think I could, man. Why? I think it's too close to our intellectual status. I mean, the same thing goes with monkeys. You know, I don't think I would shoot a monkey either unless it was trying to hurt me or mine. But is that ingrained in us because we think we've evolved from them? But, I mean, even saying, you know, say it goes the other way, saying that we didn't fully evolve from them, but we were DNA spliced, then we still came from them. They are still upright walking uh, hominoids. They still have five fingers, five toes, as we do. They probably, you know, have some thinking process similar to us. So you can't take that shot. I don't think I would be able to. What about you, man? Do you think you could? That's a hard decision, man. I don't, I don't know because some part of me thinks that you're you're never going to settle this dispute on whether or not it's real unless you have a dead body lying in front of a fucking a scientist and there's the CNNs there reporting on it and all this other shit. You're not going to settle it without a dead body. But as you said, I mean, saying that they are still alive, or how many of them are there? If you take out that one, how many of the how much of the population are you actually you know fucking up? Because if you have, if there's not a lot of them out there, and you take out one, that's one less that they had to repopulate. So I mean, do you take that shot or not? I mean, it's it's a hard fucking decision to to, to call. I probably wouldn't. So what if you don't take the shot? Then you know you can't prove that it's real. Well, I'll just pull out my camera and take a picture. You know, they say a, a lot of these signs might last somewhere between ten to six or six to ten seconds. If you see a giant fucking beast that's eight, nine, ten foot tall, weighing a thousand pounds, muscles giant enough to rip you in fucking half. In a six-second or ten-second scenario where you're seeing this creature move in and out of the tree line, are you going to sit there and think to pull up your camera at that point? Or are you going to be sitting there thinking, I better not fucking breathe. I don't want to make a noise. Do I really want my the, my phone to make the little sound when it opens and the, the camera shutter to make a sound? Do you want any of that to happen when this giant fucking beast is in your vicinity? 
That's a very fucking good point. I think at that point you'd be pissing yourself with fear. Yeah. I don't think you would be thinking, hey, let's pull out a camera and take a picture of this giant fucking ape that can rip me apart. You're going to try to do whatever you can to make sure he does not know you're there. And that does not include taking out a fucking camera and taking a picture of it. And I think in those people who do pull out their phones and take a picture, that that's how you get a lot of the block squatch images, you know? That's how you get a lot of the blurry-ass Bigfoot behind a tree images. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, if you if you're fucking, if fucking you see that, adrenaline kicks in instantly. That fight or flight kicks in, and you're going to start sweating. You're going to start, your heart's going to start beating fast. Your hands are going to be fucking shaking. There's no way you can take a good fucking picture of that. If you watch the Patterson film, what we were talking about, the, the initial part of the Patterson film, as soon as you see that creature, it's shaky as fucking shit. And even when it settles down, it's still shaky as shit. That's because his hands were shaking like a motherfucker. This motherfucker was scared out of his fucking mind that this thing would rip him fucking apart. And that's just imprinted on us. So, I mean, I think that's where you get a lot of these blurry images where, like, well, wow, we got a crisp image. You watch, you go see a 800 or 1,000 pound animal that's 10 foot tall walking around that can rip you apart, and you tell me how your nerves do. <laughs> True. Fuck that. But, I mean, I don't know. We've been going on for a while, so I guess that'll we'll wrap it up here. So, this has been the Random Horse Podcast, and hopefully we made your money just a little bit better. I'm Jason. He's Matt. We'll catch you guys next time. Take it easy. See you later, bitches. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. But in the meantime, if you're wanting to keep up with the show, there's a few different places you can reach out to us at. We're on Twitter at RandomWordsCast, Facebook.com forward slash the Random Words Podcast, and you can find our archives on YouTube. Also, if you want to send us an email, hit us up at the Podcast at gmail.com. And don't worry, we'll be back next week to fill your ears once again. Stay beautiful, you fucks. The Random Words Podcast will shut down in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Goodbye.